0: All right. Oh, that's loud. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Marcus Smith. I'm the Chief Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility Officer for Air Force Research Laboratory. And I will be your moderator today for session 2714, A Day in the Life of a Scientist and Engineer, an Air Force Scientist and Engineer, sorry. Um, so I am joined today by a some of the Air Force superstars. Here, I have Major, Major General Pr- Heather Pringle, Commander, Air Force Research Laboratory and Department of the Air Force Technology Executive Officer. Ms. Jacqueline Janning-Lask, Senior Executive Service, Director, Engineering and Technical Management Services, Air Force Lifecycle Management Center. Ms. Jessica Sting-Peterson, Instructor, Flight Test Engineer, and Technical T- Director for 12th Operations Group. Ms. Karen Hudson, Chief, Avionics, Engineering Division, Air Force Lifecycle Management Center, and Mr. Damon Brown, Engineering Technical Expert, 402nd Electronics Maintenance Group. So before I move forward, please, can we give our panel a round of applause? So this session, A Day in the Life of an Air Force Engineer Scientist explores the realm of the possible, what it's like to work in the sciences and engineering career field within the Air Force. By sharing our stories today, we hope to help you paint a picture in which you can see yourself exploring a future career with us. We often hear the misconception that being a part of the Air Force, you have to be in the military. Well, we hope to demystify that today. Um, We are here seeking to bridge the gap to the missing millions, We want to cultivate relationships and build long-term partnerships that can transition into the development of our future workforce. I want to tell you, we see you, you all matter to us, and we hope that you can see the Air Force as a place where you belong and you can call a future home. I will start each uh, of our panel members off with a question uh, and allow them to take us on a journey and tell us about their position uh, and location. So first, Major General Pringle, can you tell the audience a little more about who we are within the Air Force and just where and how Air Force Research Laboratory fits into that picture?
1: So as uh, Dr. Smith said, uh, my name is Heather Pringle. I have been in the Air Force as a scientist my entire 32 years of service and I love it. Uh, I will say I'm the only scientist among the bunch. Uh, they're a bunch of engineers. So if you want to know about exploring, learning new things, solving problems in a unique way, scientists and engineers work very well together. uh, And you'll hear a lot of uh, that perspective later. But, you know, if you want want somebody who's uh, got a little different background, my background's human factors, it's uh, man-machine interface, how do you use learning, cognition, communication and decision making to build better machines so that's a very uh, appropriate background for the air force and i've done that a lot with simulators aircraft right now we're doing it a lot with uh, uncrewed aerial vehicles uh, satellites and all sorts of things so if i can just go into my charts dr smith Uh, he's on our team uh, as well So what I thought I'd do is is tell you, besides the difference uh, that all of us have in our backgrounds and, you know, being the scientist among engineers, uh, the one thing we have in common is that we serve in the Air Force Materiel Command. This is one of the largest commands in the Air Force with over 89,000 personnel, uh, primarily civilian workforce, and uh, it has, about 80% of the Air Force's scientists and engineers. So this is really the military uh, brain power uh, source for our workforce. And what this command is responsible for is uh, developing, acquiring, sustaining, and maintaining um, the, the fleets in our Air Force, whether they are um, aircraft, and we also have a role in supporting the Space Force. The, and I'm a part of the research lab here, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But the one thing that we all share is we all have some role in taking care of the fleets that we have in either acquiring them, sustaining them, testing them, or developing the fleets that we'll get into the future. So if I were to look at just uh, what we do in the research lab, in particular, on the next chart, talks about uh, our mission. And what we do is we develop and um, we discover, develop, and deliver amazing uh, technologies for the future of our Air Force and our Space Force. So that's a really unique role. We support aircraft and spacecraft. We launch rockets. We blow things up with lasers and weapons. We, uh, we have centrifuges to spin astronauts and understand the limitations of human performance. And we code like crazy. Basically, we do a lot of unique and different things to push the boundaries of what is possible in technology and then harness that power to bring it and apply it to what our warfighters need in the air and in space. It's really a privilege to do it, and I work with such an amazing team like Dr. Smith and others, it's, it's truly phenomenal. And I work with all these folks on the panel as well, because even though the lab may be looking at the next generation of technologies, none of it gets delivered to the warfighters without their help. So I really look forward to you hearing their story as well. But one interesting thing about the um, technology background of the scientists and engineers in the research lab, you can envision if you're pursuing science, technology, engineering and math degrees, that we would require a lot of big brains. Uh, I am not one of them, Dr. Smith is. But uh, three out of five of our civilian workforce uh, are scientists or engineers. Uh, We have about 1,200 people with PhDs. Truly an amazing workforce. There's about 10,000 personnel overall. But let me tell you that it takes more than folks like Dr. Smith with his uh, background in, it's aerospace engineering, is it? No, aeronautical? materials, Materials. Materials, materials. Uh, Each one is a unicorn by the way, but it takes more than just the technical fields to make the lab run. We require folks with contracting and personnel and specialized experience in lock. You can envision patents are very important to our mission as well. So uh, looking at a whole host of Disciplines and career fields are important to getting our mission done as well, but we're really heavily focused on harnessing the power of STEM degrees in particular. On the next chart, I'd like to transition to how we, how we view our team and how we, view, how we leverage their talents to execute our mission. So first and foremost is we believe people are our greatest strength. In fact, we know it. If we are to design new equipment and technologies and aircraft and truly understand and push the state of the art, if we're going to have uncrewed aerial systems in the air doing dogfights, um, you really need some great talent, you really need some great Uh, brain power getting it all done and so AFRL took a very um, deep and uh, specialized look at how we were going to approach taking care of our team. In fact, we developed our first ever human capital strategy about two years ago and diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility was absolutely a key pillar. And bringing Dr. Smith on as our DEI uh, officer at the AFRL level really helped us synergize the power of diversity for our mission. We absolutely know that if we're supposed to solve problems and develop new things, novel ideas, we can't keep going to the same well of expertise. We have to open the aperture, we have to be as inclusive as, impo- as possible and, and bring in as much talent and perspectives and backgrounds that we can. And so we have taken very significant steps to do that. The hiring of Dr. Smith, at uh, uh, taking him out of the lab actually, doing the materials work that he was doing so amazingly, but having, his help in focusing that uh, really helped us, and I'll say our DEINA plan uh, was did a lot to focus on how we attract uh, talent to the lab. In fact, if you see our, we have a booth. Is it downstairs? downstairs yes, ma'am. We have a booth downstairs uh, for AFRL, and we are actually doing uh, interviews to see if there's some talent here in in this conference that we could bring on board, and we're really excited. I've heard that they've already had a couple interviews so far, and we know that there are more out there just waiting uh, for the great opportunity. But attracting the right talent and being as inclusive as possible was a key pillar of that strategy. We also focused a lot on our culture and how we could better uh, make it as inclusive as possible. We host workshops to develop all our leaders from the very top to the bench levels so that we had the right tools, the right language, the right knowledge to execute it in our day-to-day experiences because we can't fix what we don't know. And so education was a very key component of upskilling our workforce. And then of course we look at retention and how do we keep people for the long haul. So if you're doing this really exciting mission and becoming a part of it, um, how do we learn from what keeps you as part of our team, what makes you excited to do it, and what can we do better? So we're constantly reassessing ourselves and trying to up our game because we know uh, that we've got more to grow and more to give and more to do, and we want to do it with all of you. And so I have a couple examples, I think, on the next chart. Oh, very good, right here, of uh, some of the opportunities that we have for the variety of folks that might be here in the audience. For example, we really try to target uh, young investigators. There's a program called the Young Investigators Program, or the YIP program. And this is an important opportunity for scientists and engineers to get scholarship money and help them further their research and further their development in a technical career field, right? Because you can't do the research if you don't have the great facilities, the great labs, and the sponsorship to get it done. So the YIP program is really important to sponsor folks at the very, at the very tactical level. We also do things like recruitment incentives, uh, offering up to 25% of total pay to recruit new individuals to our team. We do relocation bonuses as well to ensure that location isn't a challenge for anyone wanting to serve in the lab. We have smart scholar programs as well and this one's particularly exciting. It's been around for a number of years, but it's open to undergraduates and graduate students and it offers them stipends supporting their pursuit of degrees in STEM career fields. And it comes with the opportunity for an internship at the lab and the magic of that is it's not just that you're receiving a blind scholarship and doing the work and not interacting with the team that wants to bring you on board later on. You're starting to develop a relationship and you're starting to connect your work to the work that we're doing in the lab and build those relationships so that uh, when we're able to hire an individual on board, that the relationship is solid and they are postured for success. And there's nothing we want more than anyone that we're recruiting to our team to be successful. In fact, right before I walked in here, I was talking to one of my colleagues and he was talking about his son who is part of our AFRL team. And he said, you know, my son just loves it there. Uh, In fact, his name is uh, Dr. Bridges. Does anyone know uh, Tim Bridges? His son just loves it there because he is supported in his work, and he is being recognized for what he is doing and how he's contributing to part of a team. And he really feels he has the tools to be successful. And that's the kind of success story that we want all our interns, all our smart scholars, uh, partners, etc., to come to AFRL with. I'll mention just a few more, but then I'll pass on the mic because I don't wanna lose my voice and I wanna save some for uh, the questions. But um, the other thing that's pretty remarkable about the Air Force and its support of diversity and STEM talent in particular was earlier this year, and I hope you all caught this in the media. There's a thing called a UARC, a university affiliated Research Consortium Center? Center. And see, there's. it's great to have teammates like Dr. Smith helping me out, right? I'm so fortunate. Couldn't do it without him. But this UARC is really critical. Uh, it was the first ever that the Air Force had to partner with a historically black college and university, i.e. Howard University, right here in the area, and that event was um, was noted by the Secretary of Defense, Secretary Austin and our Secretary, Secretary Kendall. So it's very obvious in very recent events that our leadership is serious. And by the way, we have $12 million a year going to this university for the purpose of looking at tactically, um, uh, tactical autonomy, which is basically uh, uncrewed vehicles, right? It could be on the ground, it could be in the air, uh, in space, but that's an important area of research and technology development that we need. So we partnered with Howard University, we awarded them this uh, funding, and now we have this great pipeline of talent and technology coming together for our mission. So. Uh, From top to bottom, we're supportive of all these different efforts. I could go on and on. There are many more listed here. Please ask me if you have further questions. Let's see what my last slide is just to make sure I didn't miss anything. That was it, so I didn't. (laughs) Um, But uh, if you have any questions, uh, please let me know. But thanks for this opportunity to be here. Um, We're very excited to be partnered with BEA and honor all the young students and the future that we have. So
0: thanks, Dr. Smith. Thank you, General Pringle. I did have one question for you. Yes, sir. What has been one of the most rewarding? (laughs) Can can you talk to the audience about one of your most, uh, some of the most rewarding parts of being a part of the Air Force for you, for your career?
1: Um, So I just got my blood taken uh, yesterday. (laughs) And, and the technician, this young um, technician, and, and we had a nice conversation. He was distracting me. Uh, he said he was afraid of flying. And he said, well, you've been in a long time. And I said, yes, I have, quite a long time. He said, what's your favorite memory? So my favorite memory uh, that I told him, and literally it was yesterday, but I'm okay. My blood's good to go. Uh, and yeah, so I said, well, there's uh, something that all our enlisted personnel do uh, before they get to wear the uniform or it's part of their training and we call it basic training. And it's about eight weeks of grueling, intense, discipline training. You get um, acculturated to our core values, integrity, service before self, and excellence in all we do. You learn some of the basic skills of marching and firing weapons and coming together. So when they graduate after eight weeks, um, it's really something to celebrate. So I was able to um, uh, officiate this graduation. And so there were about 800 of these basic cadets out there, including my, the technician. He was one of them. He said, yeah, that was really hard. He said, it was a great day though, that graduation. I said, my favorite moment is when they take the oath of office. It is truly something special. So, envision 800 of these individuals standing at attention. They all marched out there in perfect line just like these chairs, right? Not one is askew. And then I say, raise your right hand and repeat after me. I state your name. And you hear I, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) You have no idea what it is. No idea who it is, but 800 unique names, right, out there standing proud because of what they've accomplished representing themselves and being willing to wear the uniform for their country. And then you go, okay, state your name. So 800 different voices do solemnly swear. And then it all comes together in unity unified to defend the constitution of the united states against all enemies foreign and domestic and it goes on and that's what unites us that is a special moment i will treasure forever i uh, i do love that i i love it every day so <laughs> sorry you got me talking but that's a great memory and and the technician loved it too yes. he was like yeah that was a good one
0: <laughs> thank you Miss Jessica Sting-Peterson, can you tell us about how you support our fighter pilots as a flight test engineer? Yeah,
2: thank you. All right, so my name is Jess Peterson. I go by Sting. I'm a flight test engineer, civilians. So you'll see I'm not wearing the uniform. These are some of the amazing opportunities that our civilians for the Air Force have. And I'm gonna talk about a program that was actually developed with AFRL. So the, the, the flow is really well and it's called the Automatic Ground Collision Avoidance System. So we're gonna to work together as a team. Let's see the next slide. All right, so my background. So I'm the tech director for our ops group. We have nine different squadrons. We test most of the platforms for the Air Force at Edwards Air Force Base. I'm also an instructor flight test engineer with Test Pilot School where I'm teaching our pilots, our engineers, civilian and military, how to test all the new systems for the Air Force. It's very, uh, very rewarding. Slide. All right, so first I wanted to share the flight environment. You can go ahead and play this video as I'm talking through it. So this is me in a T-6 aircraft, which is a training aircraft. And the thing that I want you to look at is the equipment that I'm wearing. So to be safe in an aircraft, there's helmets, masks, G-suits. You see that I'm in an ejection seat. So you can see the equipment that I need to fly. But also, it's really beautiful. And this is what I love about flying, what I love about flight test engineering. Yeah, the systems are great. It's very rewarding. But flying in the aircraft, seeing my shadow, seeing a sun dog, which is where you have a little rainbow around your shadow. It's just really a beautiful environment, and I like sharing that so people can understand, you know, really what we get to do. Slide. Thank you, all right, so let's talk a little bit about the training to be in the aircraft. So when you're in an airplane, especially an F-16, there's a lot of physiological forces that you're feeling on the body. One of them is called a G-force. So g G-force is the number of times a force of gravity that you feel on your body. You can get up to nine times the force of gravity when you're in an F-16. If you've ever been on a roller coaster, and I'm not gonna ask for hands, but I'd imagine everyone in here has probably felt when you go through the bottom of a roller coaster that force that's pulling your body, ba- body down, well, that will pull the blood out of your brain. It can be very dangerous. People can pass out when that happens. And so they train you how to do a, a, a maneuver called a G-strain. And I, sometimes I'll make the audience practice it. I'm not gonna make you do it. But it's where you clench all the, mod- the muscles in your body and you do a breathing technique. That centrifuge that General Pringle talked about, that is at right Pat, we use that to train flight test engineers and pilots how to withstand those forces. Next slide. All right, so let's talk about Auto-GCAS now and getting to test this system slide. So what is it? It's a system that performs an automatic recovery. And why did we need this? In a 12-year period, we lost 86 pilots due to controlled flight in a terrain or a collision with another airplane. So this means nothing's wrong with the aircraft. Either the pilot has passed out, lost awareness doesn't realize where they're at in the weather and so really i mean that's just a lot of lives and a lot of money and a lot of aircraft it really was a problem and so we went and did a study and said we need automatic systems that will prevent these mishaps from happening the solution that we got for for getting rid of the controlled flight in a terrain was an automatic ground collision avoidance system. We tested it at Edwards Air Force Base in collaboration with AFRL. It's been fielded since 2014 and we've actually saved 12 lives to date. Just two weeks ago, we saved our most recent life. So very rewarding program to work on. So let's talk about how we tested this system as a flight test engineer slide. All right. So. The F-16 has a low level mission. Anyone that's seen the most recent Top Gun Maverick, you'll see that the F-18, they have to fly a couple hundred feet above the ground. They do that for terrain masking so that the enemy can't see them. The F-16 has to train to that. So very complicated, right, to have a system that prevents you from hitting a mountain, but still allows you to fly down to 200 feet. So how do we do this? How do we safely test it? If the system doesn't work right, you're gonna hit the mountain, right? So we had to think about that as well, slide. So the way that we did this is that we would artificially raise the ground. The computer would think the ground was higher than it was, so if something went wrong, the pilot has time to react, slide. You can go ahead and build this for me, I think it's about five clicks, keep going. Okay, so this is a test card. You don't need to look at all the numbers, but the takeaway that I want you to have is as an engineer, I had to think through what altitude do I start at? What condition do I want the airplane to get at? And if something goes wrong, what am I looking at in the back seat or in the control room to tell the pilot to take action? Because we never trust the computer, we never trust these brand new systems to work correctly. Spoiler, I'm gonna show you a video where it doesn't work correctly, and that control room and the engineer comes in. All right, slide. Yeah, you can keep going. All right, so I'm gonna show you a couple different um, videos of test points, and to orient you with what you're looking at, I'm gonna show you the heads-up display video, so that's what's on the top right, and what the airplane is doing. So we're gonna be showing you a test point that starts up at 43,000 feet above the ground, and the airplane, the pilot, is gonna maneuver to get very steep and nose-low slide. The things to look at, so the flight path marker, that's on the top of the headset display. That tells you where the airplane is going. So when it's above that straight line, above that horizon, it's going away from the ground. When it's below, it's going down towards the ground. You can see the airspeed. This test point I show you is gonna get up to about 650 knots, so going very, very fast. And then you can see altitude on the right-hand side, starting here at 44,000 feet, and we're gonna lose altitude very quickly. Slide. All right, we're gonna have the pilot's gonna roll inverted, so he's gonna go upside down, slide, pull the nose low, slide, and get almost vertical Pointing right towards the ground, and then you're gonna see on the heads-up display the things that we call the chevrons. When those chevrons come together and make a break X, that is when now the computer is in control. So the pilot is doing nothing, their hands off, and the computer is what is maneuvering the airplane away from the ground. You can imagine the first time that we tested this, there was a lot of concern. The pilot's like, oh, I wanna make sure that I really trust this computer to do the right thing, and so that's why the planning was so critical. Slide. And then when the computer gives control back to the pilot, that break X goes away. All right, so now go ahead, we're going to play this video and you're going to see a good test point. You're going to hear the pilot talking can to you the control up. room. 1.
3: 4. 5. Oh.
2: Yeah. You can do that. Rolling inverted, pulling towards the ground, six times the force yes, that's of gravity. Good.
3: Altitude. Altitude. Control Z18, complete?
2: Okay. Awesome. So that's a great test point. The system worked like expected. We're happy. Awesome. AFRL is super happy. Let's go to the next slide.
3: Here oh, good.
2: One more. Click for me. There we go. All right, doesn't always work the way that you want. So this is an example. I call this the blue screen of death. So we're going out, exact same test point, exact same conditions, and the computer is not able to handle that information. You'll see on the top left the words, no GCAS. That means that the computer has failed. The pilot is not aware of this. He is still flying the maneuver because he's focusing six Gs, pulling the nose low. And so this is where the engineer steps in. You're gonna hear over the radio, abort, abort, abort. And now the pilot is going to manually fly the airplane and avoid the the ground. And he says some choice words. I may have bleeped them out. I don't remember. He says some choice words when he realizes the system has failed. Slide.
4: Six thirty by thirty four.
2: Assume an eight's this maneuver. Pull inverted. Same test point. Six years. Six times the force of gravity. Top left, Police. no G-Cast.
5: Washington speed, 6.30 by 3. <laughs> and idle, pull. Boards.
3: Altitude. Altitude.
4: <laughs> no G-Cast.
2: Yeah, I bleeped it out. He says some bad words right after that because he's not happy about it. But so this is this is why we work together as a team, right? And honestly, this is why we do tests. This test point in the sim, no problems. It wasn't until we flew it that we found the problems and we were able to fix it. All right, the last slide that I'm going to show you is why this matters. So I've told you that we've had 12 saves. Well, I'm gonna show you a video from one of the real world saves that happened a couple years after we had fielded the system. This is a new pilot in pilot training. He doesn't do his G-Strain well. He passes out in the airplane and his airplane starts getting faster and faster, nose low. You're gonna hear over the radio, his wingman in another aircraft yelling at him to recover the airplane, saying to recover, to recover. The automatic system comes on and saves his life. So very rewarding. The other thing that I want you to do while you're watching this is it actually looks a lot like that test point where the system didn't work correctly the first time. So test, finding those problems, and fixing it are what allowed this pilot's life to be saved. Go ahead and play for me. Right now, six times the force of gravity. 8 times the force of gravity. Now he's passed out and his airplane's getting steeper and faster.
4: He'll recover. He'll recover.
2: He'll recover. He'll recover. The computer's in control, saving his life.
3: Off, only one knock it off. So not All right, you go ahead and slide.
0: Get yourself back above the floor.
2: All right, so the last thing that I wanted to finish with, um, so just a little talk about diversity and inclusion. So as a woman in a predominantly male field, predominantly white male field, um, I often find that I am the only female in the room, right? And there's a lot of different reasons, a lot of barriers that we need to overcome. It has to do with getting more STEM, K through 12, you know, people that are underrepresented doing engineering degrees. But there's also one that's been very rewarding for me, and it seems simple, but it's physical barriers for people to be able to fly. And so historically, the aircrew flight equipment that I talked about, the helmet, the mask, the suits those were designed for who had historically been in aviation and so for women we actually didn't have systems that fit us very well the last five years the air force has put a lot of effort into getting aircrew flight equipment that fits all different types of body types men and women and so I've been working on that it's been very rewarding and so you know little barriers those little wins are what are going to help us have more diversity in the fields that we work in so with that I'll pass it off thank you thank you
0: Thank you, Ms. Peterson. I did have a question for you. Um, What advice would you give to a young aspiring engineer who wants to join the Air Force?
2: You know, so I think that um, find what you're gonna be passionate about, right? That's what's gonna make you really successful at the job. For me, going in there, working for the Air Force, it was when I met the team and I understood the mission set and how it was gonna have an impact. That's what really made it rewarding and made me passionate about my job. So find what you're passionate, understand the mission, um, and everything else will come with that.
0: Thank you. All right, Miss Karen Hudson, can you talk to us about the importance of avionics and how it's enabled your career? That's what I'm telling you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Hello,
3: all. I'm Karen Hudson. I am the avionics engineering division chief at Air Force Lifecycle Management Center at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Next slide, please. Before you do that. Okay, so I'm responsible for the design, development, manufacturing, integrating, testing, and deploying of weapon systems with avionics, all of open systems of avionics, but across the center. So I'm gonna to explain today how avionics enables the mission and give you a little insight into my Air Force career, 34 years, Air Force career, started when the dinosaurs roam the Earth. But um, I will talk to you about my Air Force career and give you some insight into that and some of my experiences. But first, I have this short video.
0: The Earth is 70% water. sky.
3: I chose that video because I believe everyone who works for the air force and I see quite a few of you in the audience it gives you a sense of pride because what you do matters and just watching that in some of the systems that I worked on previously it just makes you proud of what you do so it also helps me to explain how every platform has avionics so avionics are used to to sense the environment both internally and externally And in this slide, this is a quote from Carrie Spitzer, who is the author of Digital Avionics. I want to draw your attention to the first part of the the quote. Avionics is the cornerstone of modern aircraft control and operation. Almost every facet of the aircraft is tied to one or more avionics functions. I had a coworker approach me recently who's in the flight systems division, and he was a bragging about structures is the key to an aircraft. And I said, well, maybe, but an aircraft is a flying computer. And the computer the aircraft is filled with computer systems and the aircraft cannot get off the ground without the computer systems, which is avionics. So if you didn't have that, it's a non-flying structure. He agreed. It's like, okay, take that t-shirt and take it someplace else. All right. <laughs> All right, well, we worked it. Well, he realized then we have to work together, but he just thought, you know, easy F, easy F, now easy A, yes, avionics. Um, so next slide, please. This is a list of avionics functions. Um, I started my career as a co-op student, um, from Tuskegee University. So when I started, I worked electronic warfare. Um, now this is just the first three, well the first two, you saw that in the previous presentation, the terrain following collision, collision avoidance, controls and displays, those are all avionics. So I've worked on the majority of everything on this, um, yeah, pretty sure, controls and displays. Low observables, stealth technology, mission planning, I'll get to that later, communication, flight control. So, But it's not an exhaustive list of all avionics functions. This is some of the things I've worked on throughout my 34-year career as a, an avionics engineer. Um, my first position after graduation was working with Chap and Flares. So many of you guys have seen that in the Top Gun Maverick movie when they dispense the Flares. So that was exciting. I got to design, develop, and test those. So that was very exciting. Um, these are pictures of avionics systems. So from the bottom left is a laser targeting system. You've seen that in um, Maverick Top Gun. Then there's a heads up display from an F 35 ma- helmet mounted curing system. Mr. Fuchs, that looks familiar? Yes. <laughs> okay. The center is a cockpit where the pilot used all the flight controls and uh, displays to operate the plane. The top right is the F-16 radar and processor. This is a B-2, which uses stealth technology. And the bottom right is the C-17 dispensing flares. So I was asked to speak to you about um, an interesting project that I worked on. Sorry, but the most interesting and challenging project is classified. And I can't tell you about it, because I need to keep my job. um you know you've heard the term if i tell you have to kill you i've worked on those kind of projects very interesting i must say but um the most one of the most interesting times was when i was an f-22 avionics engineer the pictures on the left are some of my favorite pictures of the f-22 so i was the mission planning lead on the f-22 um you guys know this and you've seen the scene in top gun maverick i'm sure everybody's seen it where they had to plan a mission to go into enemy territory and release um, missiles using a laser targeting system and then get out of the area safely. They had to avoid the surface-to-air missiles, Um, they had to avoid the enemy aircraft, so everything they used in that scene was avionics, from planning the mission, which is mission planning, to using electronic warfare, the sensors, Um, the electronic warfare, and the sensors of the aircraft to avoid those surface-to-air missiles. On the right is a depiction of the planning of four F-117s into enemy territory, so you probably can't see it too good, but there are four um, colors, and those are the optimized routes. So planning, mission planning, you have to take into consideration the threat laydown, so those are the threats that are in the environment. Um, your onboard weapons, the electronic warfare, the weather, terrain, all of that is considered into optimizing your route so you can get safely into the enemy territory, release your missiles or weapons, and egress safely and return to base. We say return to base, I'm pretty sure, I don't know what the Navy calls it, return to ship, we'll return to base. Um, But this was an exciting part of my career and in working on the F-22, it allowed me to travel extensively. I got to raise my son, instill some of that F-22 pride in him because when he was five years old and they had a uh, field trip to the Air Force Museum, he's in front of me arguing with his classmates trying to convince him of the existence of an F-22. So he's saying you're gonna see an F-22. They're like, "There's are no such thing as an F-22. They walk in the bay. They see, he sees the F-22, he said, there it is, I told you! There's a such thing as an F-22. Ah, I laugh, I'm just like, okay. So he was really paying attention. So with me working with an F-22 team, that was just, I mean, the team was awesome. So he got to experience that, and that became a part of him. So every movie that he saw with an F-22, he was able to recognize. Starscream, in Transformers, F-22s that were in um, Iron Man and any other movie after that, he was able to recognize it. So every time it came to the base, I took him to see the F-22. At first he didn't like the noise because it was too loud. But like in that video where you saw it go up like that, if you work on it, you're like, ooh, that's exciting. So the pride that I had, I got to pass it on to him. That's a good thing. Uh, Next slide, please. My career, has come full circle since I co opt from Tuskegee. I was recruited by a Tuskegee graduate to now leading the division that manages avionics. So that's full circle, that, that's really good. So when I started on the base, there weren't many engineers that looked like me. There were very few females, and of course not too many black female engineers. Um, I didn't have a mentor, didn't have a sponsor, no one to tell me, this is what you need to do for your career. A lot of it, you know, you fall down, get up, keep going. But that has changed over the 34 years. I have had great mentors. I've had great sponsors, <clears throat> one of which is Miss not Lask. She's not only my supervisor, but she's my mentor and my sponsor. So I appreciate her because a lot of things that I've done, a lot of challenges that I've had, um, I would not change anything, and I have this on the screen because one of my palace acquires went off to get his thesis, and he sent me a copy of his thesis, and he said, I just want to let you know, I gave you an acknowledgement. So I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, I made a difference, I was like, I really did something. So with that, I can say, I would not change anything in my career all the challenges, all the missteps, everything, I think it brought me to this. So I am where I'm supposed to be. I'm happy where I am. And the position I have now is most rewarding because I get to hire, train, and mentor young engineers. I look for females, I look for minorities because I want to grow them to have successful Air Force careers. I think I I did pretty good, so. I have something (laughs) that I can share with them unlike um, what happened to me when I first started. Um, With that, I will say the next speaker will kind of round everything out um, with the acquisition part that um, I do the design, development, and testing, or design and development, and hand off the testing to Ms. Jess Peterson, but the sustainment of avionics is really handled by Mr. Brown. Down at the sustainment at Warner's Air Force Base. Did I do your part? Sorry.
0: (laughs) 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 I did have a question, a quick question for you. You mentioned Palace Acquire. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about Palace Acquire and how we use that as a recruitment tool? Sure.
3: So, Palace Acquire is a um, three year program where we take um, graduating seniors, we bring them in as a three-year training program. So you come in your first year, you're with our office or a office to get trained. The second year you go off and get your master's degree. They pay you to get your master's degree. And then we put you out to a program office so you can get some applicable engineering experience. You also get, um, incentives every year you get an incentive for the three years. So like the smart, scholarship program, it is a great deal because you get your master's paid for and you get to work with great people like me.
0: (laughs) Thank you again, Ms. Husson. All right, Mr. Damon Brown. Ms. Husson already introduced you and told us what you you were gonna talk to us about. So come on up and tell us about the sustainment of the avionics systems, please, thank you.
5: Thank you, Marcus. Um, Good afternoon. Baya, I'm glad to be here. My name is Damon Brown. I am a technical advisor for our 402nd Electronics Maintenance Group at Warner Robins, uh, Robins Air Force Base, Georgia. And uh, in my role, I support uh, the sustainment of uh, avionic systems. If it's electronic and it goes on a plane, we most likely repair it at our base at Robins. Uh, So next, please. Uh, we have a, we have a huge problem right with sustainment of our air Force systems they're designed to last 20 years or so and we have lots of systems that are aged uh, 50 years or more uh, b52 some c130s they've been there and we still have to keep those planes flying and maintained uh, and that's that's a complete contrast to current consumer technology where things are obsolete. Uh, like, this phone here is already obsolete, and I just got it not long ago. Uh, so two to three years, uh, things are obsolete, so you throw it away. Well, we can't throw away our aircraft, and we can't just get new avionics systems from because they cost a lot of money, right? So I'm gonna take you back on a little trip. Commercial technology of 1973. Um, yeah, the brick phone, right? It was big, it was heavy, it had a one-line display, no memory, all you could do on it is call. That's it. Um, and it's the equivalent of $10,000 today. Now, if you had to buy a $10,000 iPhone, I don't think anybody would buy them, right? So moving forward to today, more? All right, iPhone 14, right? And the 15's coming out soon. Anybody excited about the new iPhone 15? <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm an I'm a Android guy, but you know. <laughs> There you go, but you know the, the phone is an amazing feat of technology, right? So in that technology, it's less than a pound, right? Full color display, more computing power than you could fit in this room with 1970, probably in this whole entire conference uh, convention center with 1973 technology, um, multi-million color display and a terabyte of memory, and all for the low low price of 14.99. It seems kind of high, but re- relatively speaking it's not a lot of money so i'm going to tell you about one of my favorite projects um and you can see some 1970s technology here um who in here has grown up watching black and white tube tv so when i was a kid my father had um uh, he got me a little uh, it was a five inch black and white tv because you know, you didn't get to control the TV in your household. You, you got whatever was left. And so I had this little TV and it had the two knobs and you could turn and you can get channel three, six and nine. And that was really about it. Uh, well, this is some technology that's flying on one of our current aircraft. It is a, uh, it's part of an electronic warfare system. Uh, Karen, am I, am I talking your language? There you go. All right. So in this, uh, on this electronic warfare system, uh, the display maps the RF environment around the aircraft, so it shows all the different signals that are going around, and there are one, two, three, four, five lines of display, so you see little peaks on the display if it's doing what it's supposed to do, and it shows a nice little green text, right? Um, and for, uh, for illustration, that's how a cathode ray tube goes, you shoot electrons at a phosphor screen and it lights up. Uh, well, this thing is 100 pounds, it's heavy, uh, it was all analog electronics, and it used a lot of power. Uh, it cost $70 million to put it on the plane. Um, in 1990, we started running into obsolescence problems, and we repaired it at our depot. Well, now we can't get those those CRT displays. That led to my group having being tasked to redesign it. Uh, as part of our redesign, we didn't get to integrate, we could use ne- new technology, but we had to maintain what's called the form, fit, and function, uh-oh, thank you, right there, uh, form, fit, and function. So we took and put a brand new HD multi-million color display in, in it, and we had to make it display in green and white. Uh, so we had to uh, actually cripple the display. Uh, but also. It still had to weigh 100 pounds, right, because we can't go adjusting the weight and balance on this aircraft that's been designed to do all these things. So we still had to, we had to put a big metal glob in there to, to add extra weight, dumb weight to it. Uh, we actually were, used some of that as a heat sink to increase the reliability, but we had to add weight to it just to, because the new technology was so much smaller and lighter. Uh, We used the new uh, field programmable logic devices where we were able to digitize all those waveforms. Uh, The cool thing is we could have integrated things to where you can record and play back and download the data to a nice little USB stick, but we had to maintain form fit and function and keep it doing exactly what the old one does, keep all the knobs and in the same place. Uh, One change we did make, though, is we talked to the maintainers, and apparently it was really hard to get this hundred-pound box out of the aircraft to get it serviced, so we were able to cut that L-shaped section out of the top so that we could pull, so it'd be easier to remove um, and disconnect the wires when you're removing it from the aircraft. Uh, So in this project, we used, because of the new electronics, much less power, and it only cost about $7 million for us to develop it. So it was, it was a great effort. Oh, I wanted to say one other thing about it, though. So the original display, uh, there's a camera behind the officer's uh, display setup where, that he uses, a video camera that records over his head. And we had to make sure that our display still was able to use that video camera. So if you can imagine like a VHS tape, but it's really a uh, video recorder. Uh, we couldn't add that functionality, but we had to make sure we still had the green and the white and make sure the right colors of the phosphor so that the video camera would still record it. So it was was really interesting taking new technology and applying it to something old, uh, but keeping that same functionality. So taking you from a A project that I worked, and I'll take you all the way back to the beginning, how I got here. So I I went to Florida A and M University, uh, the the country's only joint school of engineering between FAMU and FSU, and um, I became an engineering trainee at Robbins Air Force Base. Next, I was a um, before I got on base. I've, I've always been interested in getting my education and certifications, so I took the FE exam, and then I got my engineering intern license, something a lot of commercial and government engineers don't do because we operate under the, the, uh, the exemption. However, I wanted to be prepared for things that may come up in, in the future. You never, if, if, you get, if you're always ready, you don't have to get ready. Um, so, next, I became a software engineer as a trainee, and I did have a mentor uh, from Tuskegee University. He taught me everything there is to know about uh, automatic testing. And so, I got to write code. Uh, go back just one little I uh, got to write code on our Air Force standard tester, the VDATs. Uh, that code was in C, but I also, um, as you were talking, Jess, about the uh, ground proximity system, I remember writing an an automatic test program. It came with some headphones and you could run the automatic test. And uh, one of the key things was we made sure that that program said all the messages. So like there's one part I remember in the lab over and over trying to get this box to tell me, pull up, pull up, pull up. And uh, we succeeded and and I guess (laughs) we were able to keep those ground proximity warning sensors uh, working. Uh, So software engineering was my next step, so next please. And uh, the Air Force always, anything that you want to do in the Air Force, once you're an employee, uh, they will help you get there. So the Air Force paid 75% of the tuition costs for me to go get my MBA. Uh, And so I got that from a a school in Georgia. And next please, I used those skills. I wanted to try something different. I went to the system engineering side. And there I got to maintain the tests, automatic test systems that I was originally writing code for. So all the problems that I had uh, with the system from before, now I was in a place to be able to do something about it, to upgrade the software, to make it a better tester. So next, oh, then this is our systems engineering V model. shows kind of how we go from concept requirements to integration and uh, verification. Next, please professional military education so at that point I had done a couple of different things and the Air Force is like well hey we want to teach you some more things about how we fly fight and win so I went to professional military education and learned about all of the um, all of the joint forces and we did war games and and learned about all the different um, all different types of units in the come a4 and it was really interesting to see a side of the Air Force that I never got to interact with. I was just a guy in the lab fixing things, but to see how units are organized and how orders go out and how these people get directed to do this and they operate in this section of the world, it was really informative. And so from there, I wanted to get back technical again. And an opportunity arose, so I became the reverse engineering subject matter expert. So that's when I got to be on the team that developed that um, the panoramic indicator that I showed you before, and it's pretty cool taking really old circuits and turning them into new devices, so in- integrating that new technology into old systems. Uh, in that section, I also uh, was given the opportunity to, to grow out and become a supervisor. So now I'm in the in the leadership role and got to uh, not only do the development and write the code, but to help other people uh, to accomplish work through through the efforts of others. Uh, my supervisor, while I was there, he was a PE, and he signed for me to take my uh, com- PE license test. And so I went and sat for the computer exam. I think I was one of the 20 people that that took that exam that year because apparently computer engineering computer engineers don't want to go get licensed, but I did. And so um, I've got, I'm now I'm officially a Georgia licensed professional engineer. And so all those things have come as a result of my Air Force career. Next please. And now I'm in my current job and I get to um, advise and mentor. I do a lot of recruiting. I'm the the liaison between Robbins Air Force Base and Florida a and and FSU College of Engineering. Um, The best thing about my career as an Air Force engineer is that it has enabled me to have an awesome work-life balance. So in my spare time, uh, my family calls it my 13 jobs. Um, I'm a professional saxophone player, Um, shameless plug. You can go check out my album on all streaming networks and all that. It's called (laughs) Double Booked. so I'm able to do that. Um, I'm really active in my church. Um, I'm a Cub Scout leader. I've been been able to, to mentor my boys through that. I help out with the Nesby Junior Club. I've done some things with Starbase Robins, teaching additive manufacturing to kids. Um, it's been really, really, really rewarding. Uh, but next, please. Um, so lastly, I'll tell you a bit about some really cool new projects that I'm working in and that I will need help in the future, and I'm always looking for great recruits to help with these projects. Uh, So next, Um, the first one, we're doing reverse engineering of circuit boards with CT scanners. So we can take a a board, put it in a CT scanner. It spits out the data that I need to send to a board manufacturing house to make a new board. Uh, That's really awesome, but at the end of this, I need an engineer to take that data and massage it to be able to, to go into production. So next, please. Uh, the other thing I'm working, and there's a video, one more time, please, um, we're working on fully automated printed circuit board uh, manufacturing and population. So 3D printing of circuit boards. Right now, 3D printing is all the rage for plastics and, and metals. Well, I can print circuit boards in our lab at Warner Robbins. and so there still has to be that guy that engineer taking that circuit board data and sending it to the 3D printing and uh, pick and place machine. Uh, so where I are now is this nice little cloud in the middle, right? Um, so to to get where we are, right? If I'm if I'm succeeding well, it's because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, right? And so I need some new giants to come behind me that have nice. AI programming knowledge and integration and can take these different data streams and integrate that so that I can remove the engineer from the middle of this equation and I can put a part in a CT scanner. Uh, one end will come out a milspec spec printed circuit board and the other end will come out a technical data package and then the government has something that we can sustain uh, for the life of the system. Um, I think that is really all I have and I'm glad to have the opportunity to come share with you all.
0: Thank you, Mr. Brown. In the interest of time, we will move right along to our next speaker, Ms. Janning Lask. Thanks, so thank
4: Marcus. You. Okay, so the lady came through that said 10 minutes, so I'm gonna try to go really fast here. Next slide. Because uh, I wanna give you a chance to ask questions. So I've worked for the Air Force for 35 years. You can check out my bio, it's pretty cool. I got to do a lot of things that these guys were just talking about, and I work with every single one of them, um, and it's great. So, what's important? in a day in the life, right? It's work, and Damon said work-life balance. I call it work-life integration because I love my job, and I love the Air Force, and I love serving my country. So um, you heard General Pringle talk about being able to stand in front of those 800 airmen, and it, it does, it gives you, it gave, me, it gave me chills because it is very satisfying. Now, what I want to share with you, next slide, is How do we integrate this stuff and what is important? So as you're going through your career, life happens, right? And you have to be able to balance and work all the facets of your life, whether it's your career, your family, your friends, your health. And I'm just going to talk a little bit about some of the opportunities in the Air Force, right? Opportunities are limitless. You just heard Damon talk about, well, I want to do a little bit of technical. Well, I wanted to get into management. Well, I wanted to go to school, right? They offer you those those opportunities. Also, you've heard many times in real estate, location, location, location. So, you know, if you get bored in an area, we have a heck of a lot of locations where you can go to do your job. So, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's um, consistency. You have that stability. You have to think about self-fulfillment, right? How do I want to grow myself, um, whether it's leadership, whether it's technical. Karen mentioned recognition, right, and the feeling that you get when someone recognizes what you did. And, of course, our core values. I'm just going to share this from um, a life perspective, when you can align your values with your spouse, your career, your family. Right? Things are much better. So our core values are integrity, service, and excellence. And when you can find an organization or a team that aligns that makes you much more happy. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about family. So what's your personal vision, right? When I started out, I wanted 10 kids, Uh, ended up with three. But um, (laughs) you never know where you're going or what you want to do. But it's important for you to create your own vision uh do you want a family-friendly job what about work-life balance what about that flexibility Uh, i was able to go part-time when my kids were little which was awesome because i didn't lose my professional identity that was important to me and i was able to continue my career while raising three kids i worked four hours a day you know Gave them an opportunity to go into daycare and do what they, you know, what they wanted to do But then I was home for them for uh, all the additional uh, things that I needed to be as a mom. Next slide, please Friends, friends and colleagues. These are my friends right here, right? I work with Karen on a daily basis I work for General Pringle that collaborative friendly challenging environment is so very important. We're very team focused because we have to be. We're all working on a mission. And you know we say um, uh, mission first, people always, right? The mission is so important and to be able to team and be collaborative with the people that you work with is just outstanding, whether it's special events, if you wanna do an entrepreneurial op- opportunity, if I wanna do something with General Pringle's team, She's got a whole whole team that I can just reach out to and say, hey, you know what, I'd really like to talk to you about how my part of the systems engineering lifecycle can fit in to what you're doing in the research lab, or if I have an idea on sustainment, I can work with Damon. So we're all very close-knit as friends, and some of my best friends and colleagues, um, it's just awesome. Next slide, because we can also complain to each other. Okay, your health. So the other thing that the Air Force focuses on, I don't know if any of you have the Calm app. Um, I use it daily. And uh, we have another app that uh, the Air Force provides, uh, very similar to that. But they focus on that health and wellness. And so at almost every base, you have a gym. At our base, we have three or four gyms, right? And under Air Force Materiel Command, while it's um, if you're... Position allows for a little flexibility. You can work up to, to three hours a week At one of the facilities and charge that to your health and wellness time So it's not everywhere, but it is a great opportunity to maintain your health We have an employee assistance program, which is outstanding Any part of your life um, and you need help they are a phone call away we have um, um a very supportive annual leave and sick leave program, wellness classes. I've taken some of those wellness classes. You, you know, some of them are in collaboration with the lab. They put you in this thing called an egg and they measure your body fat and do all this, you know, and and, and then I, I also had a trainer there once. Um, so it's pretty cool. They they give you a lot of opportunities because mission always, right? So you have to be ready. And somebody said if
5: you aren't, what was it? If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Yeah, there you go. Okay.
4: <laughs> so, um, they're really, you're, you're just part of a large network, and it's just a great feeling to know that there's somebody there that's worried about your wellness, and they'll stand by you. It's just great. I've taken the EAP classes, it's wonderful. Okay, next slide, and I believe this is close to my last slide. Uh, growing, learning, and reducing stress. Okay, so. Uh, hobbies are important. We have a hobby shop on base, right? And so, uh, all my daughters learn how to change their own oil in their cars uh, by going to the base hobby shop um, and going to to uh, where they can change their oil in their car. We have clubs. There's facilities, um, extensions of your career. So. They, they organized a ski trip up to Boyne Mountain, and here I am with a bunch of people I never knew in a bus riding up to uh, Boyne Mountain, and boy, was that interesting. But uh, it allowed me to work with my colleagues and do something fun, and then I was able to uh, network and then have those relationships that, that are so very important. Um, any other hobbies, continued excellence, Uh, Great retirement program exercise and fitness clubs teams. I also um, uh, I I love to do artsy stuff. So I did a, a Bob Ross painting on base once they had a Bob Ross class And and so I paint this oil painting, you know, you had to pack your lunch it was like seven hours long and I bring home this painting, I, I didn't think much of it, and a couple of years passed, and I put it out by my trash one night because I was moving, I didn't want it anymore, and I put a couple other things out there, a bicycle, a lamp, you know, I figured these people will take this. The bicycle was there the next morning with the painting was gone. So um, it, it's just kind of fun, I did stained glass. So they, they support the wellness of the whole person, and that's what I wanted to share with you today because this is, next slide, This is a day in the life, right? And so while my colleagues here shared with you the technical um, aspect and the fun work that we do to support the mission, I wanted to share with you the life balance thing because it's so very important. So thanks.
0: Thank you, Ms. Janning-Lass. So we have time for maybe one or two questions. Does anyone from the audience? Oh, sorry. I have one more video to show. When I'm flying, I put my helmet on, my visor down, my mask up. You don't know who I am. Whether I'm African-American, Asian-American, Hispanic, white, male or female, you just know I'm an American airman
5: kicking your butt. General CQ Brown Jr.
3: Come join us. <laughs> <And> i <I'm> <laughs> All
0: right, we got time for maybe one question. Any questions from the, from our general audience? is a short question. I can't remember your name. Yeah? Uh, how did you use
2: your name? Ah, uh, no. <laughs> So the full story, you have to talk to me over a beer. That's a rule. But uh, STING stands for Social Talents Induce Noticeable Gains. And it has to do with a bus that we purchased and a congressman. And that's all I'm going to tell you.
0: It's, it's always an acronym, right? All, <laughs> all right. So um, that concludes our, our panel presentation. I'm hopeful that you were we were able to paint the picture of what it's like to be a scientist or engineer as part of the Air Force. As they were sharing their stories, I hope you can see yourself living out your dreams and exploring your passions and a career with us at the Air Force. Um, while we couldn't take, take any more questions, we do have a booth downstairs at the career fair, so please make sure you stop by. We will be roaming around for the rest of the day, so please uh, make sure you come and talk to us. You can't miss our booth when you walk in. Thank you again.